Willie, you don't have to worry anymore. Those Russian guys won't be back. Those guys are bad mothers, Elwood. Serious shit. They kill people. They kill people? Listen, Willie, you gotta understand. Those goons are orphan remnants of the post-perestroika Soviet secret police apparatus, which until 1991 carried out its twisted interpretation of the original well-intentioned Marxist-Leninist doctrine vis-a-vis state security, which was massively corrupted by Lavrenta Beria in the 30s. Of course, once a mass populace is coerced into such behavior as a permanent condition, a radical didactic dialectic shift such as Glasnost produces guys like these, stunned headless automata whose only alternative in their new lives is the continuation of brutish measures to which their genetic code has been programmed since the fall of the Romanovs. It's great. Feel much better. Hey, everybody. I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver linings. And we are continuing our one-year anniversary, the start of our second year of this podcast, by looking at comedy sequels, part twos, and we're doing it with the part two-iest of part twos, Blues Brothers 2000, that came out in 98, This Movie Sucks. It. This one is rough. Rough. Yeah. Um, Just... For all the reasons that you would imagine. I think we talked a bit last time about why it's difficult to do a comedy sequel because people don't want you to do the same thing anyway. But then I was thinking about this. So and maybe you disagree. But to me, Blues Brothers, which is a great comedy. Oh, it's an absolute unequivocal classic. But the things to me that are like super memorable about Blues Brothers are the fact that you have Belushi in it. For the biggest one, just most charismatic, hilarious comedian on the planet at the time is starring in your movie. So that's one. Two, ridiculous budget that's letting you do whatever you want uh, and using that for like big, lavish car chase scenes and all of that. And then three, just an absolute like just packed with these fun surprise cameos of all of the the great musicians that you would want to see in a movie called blues brothers in the year 1980 and so 18 years later (laughs) you're trying to recapture that with no belushi not the same budget and the same cameos pretty much like there's a few new cameos but well yeah this um you all are loyal listeners out there in the podcast verse. And you know how we said the biggest reason to malign Ghostbusters 2 is that it's not Ghostbusters. Um, not the case here. No. Uh, <laughs> the fact that it's not the original Blues Brothers so far down the list of reasons to malign this movie. Um, it's. Yeah, I think that one thing that could possibly work for a comedy is granted. I can't think of an example where it does is maybe revisiting things a long time later to maybe see how things have changed, see how they've grown, et cetera, things like that. But, um, this movie literally tries to do almost everything the blues brothers does, but does it without the same edge 
and a whole lot worse. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like it is following the plot to the original so closely, but also all of the changes so that they're not doing the exact same thing are worse. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's no struggle in this movie. Like they're not they don't really have to overcome any adversity necessarily. Well, I, uh, and I think to, to your point, this is something that hit me right away. And this is kind of a problem in the first movie, but you don't care in the first movie. Cause again, Belushi, but like, uh, Dan Aykroyd's character, Elwood blues. What is his character? What is his character in the first movie? He's guy who's so boring. He eats plain toast. Like, he is the and, most no-nonsense of characters, you know? And that totally works uh, played against a dynamo like John Belushi. Right. But then the thing is, in this movie, he's now the protagonist. And it we don't, like, everything, like, there are a number of times in this movie where he would do things and say things. And I'd be like, I feel like that doesn't fit with the character. But also, what is the character? Like, like I don't know why he's doing that thing, this thing right now. But also, I don't know what else he would do because he's he kind of he's almost like inert in the first movie. But like, again, comically so. And it makes sense. But then, yeah. So you you start yeah. with where you always want to start a great comedy by reminding us that Belushi is dead. And then yeah, that's a good way to start to that. <laughs> Elwood Blues, the, you know, the the more zany character of the Blues Brothers is not going to be in this one. And then you're like. Oh, well, maybe Cab Calloway will be back. And then they they make sure to tell you that right away. He's also dead. So right. so we, we get those. Those band-aids are ripped right from the start. The two people you'd rather be seeing in this opening part, if we were doing beat for beat, uh, the last movie, uh, they're not going to be around. They did get the nun. I'm happy they got the nun. Catherine but. Freeman makes a return. Uh, <laughs> and they're, I mean, yeah, that's fun. But sorry. And I got on to that, too, because to your point. Blues Brothers ends. It's a great ending. They they get what they need to do. They save the orphanage and then cuffs are slapped on them and they are thrown in to back into Juliet like they they do, uh, you know, they do Jailhouse Rock. And then that's the end of the man movie. that that what a great finish to a movie. So the idea of doing a movie 18 years later and starting it with him getting out of jail actually makes perfect sense. Page one is tight. Like, yes, you, you know, you thought that out like, but then to your point, yeah, the move would have been then you do like an Austin Powers kind of thing. Like this guy has been locked away for 18 years and now blues are even less relevant than they were in the 1980s. Right. You know, and and honestly, it's funny because blues travelers are, do a cameo in this movie, but like. I think that they that could have been more of a sense of tension of like, you're not doing the blues. Like, what is this? Like, you yeah, know, you don't understand it. Like, you're called blues traveler. You're just a dude with a harmonica. Yeah, it's not. That's not. I love blues traveler. I'm going to say I really like their music. I was a big fan of theirs in the late 90s. Oh, yeah. But they're not blues. I yeah. mean, they're blue. They're blues inspired in that all of rock and roll music is inherently blues inspired. But well, and let's be honest, it doesn't matter what they play. You know, it's the hook that brings you back with their music. Right. So, I mean, that's that's the thing right there. They're not even going to have to play blues. Right. It's, it's all it's all hook based. Yeah. <laughs> That was well done, man. Kudos. Thank you. That, that was that was good work. 
That was, by the way, the original pitch for this show, but we realized it was too beloved. It was going to be all hook based. So, and then we we're like, yeah, no, we're just going to talk about Hook, but now Hook's too good a movie. Rufio. Um, it's a silver lining <laughs> to Hook. It's always Rufio. <laughs> um, yeah, it, this, like, and, and that's the big risk of comedy sequels is this movie, there's no way you're going to do a movie called Blues Brothers without John Belushi and not constantly remind people of one of the greatest comedy movies of all time. Like, it, you're already tasking yourself with an uphill battle right so you know, they that's, did you're, avoid you're, jim belushi in this movie it did thank goodness for his attempt to do a scripted drama on abc that he couldn't do this um man like jim belushi seem seems like a good guy and it's just like and a pretty decent comedian well, but Jim Belushi's the, sin is all of our sins, which is that we're not John Belushi. Right. And he is even it's it's worse for him because his last name is Belushi and his first name sounds real close. To well, he's John. the he's the uncanniest of valleys. For yeah. And it, it's it's unfortunate because he, he is funny. I think he is charismatic. I think he can bring a lot to things, but he's not John. And that's just you're never going to get out of that shadow. And yep. yep. Like, he should have just gone as Jim Billings his whole career. Honestly, and yeah, they should have done, like, a Charlie Sheen Emilio Estevez thing. Like, he needed to use just a stage name to to not let us know <laughs> that he was a Belushi. Yeah. Um, and, a Nick Cage, Francis Ford Coppola, if you will. There's a lot of examples of this. Right. There, there, there are plenty. Um, and some of them don't necessarily make sense because, I mean, Nick Cage isn't the same actor if he's Nick Coppola his whole career. No. We don't do a month of Nick Coppola movies, I don't think. No, not a chance. Um, but e- either way, like that, like you're just setting yourself up for a whole mess of failure. And then... Well, also, does anyone want this? I think that should have been the biggest question. Who is this movie for? That's a question I actually found myself asking a lot. Who is this movie for? There is zero chance that fans of the original are going to like it. They're just not. There's also not a good chance that a new audience is going to like it because why would they? <laughs> well, right. Like, cause there's a way I think that you could have traded on the nostalgia of blues brothers and just really gone hard into it. And it been fine and inoffensive. I think that was the best. That's the peak that this movie could have been was fine and inoffensive. I yeah. don't know that it could have been any... I don't know that there's any chance for this movie to actually have been good. No. No, there's um, no. You know, but, like, just really dialed in on the nostalgia. Like, because really, what this movie is, it's some pretty good music and just absolute nonsense connecting the pretty good music. Um, if... Honestly, they just, like, almost did a Spinal Tap-esque like mockumentary blues brothers reunion tour without john without El, without jake sorry uh without jake and that was the movie that's maybe a better movie and just totally acknowledge that this is a nostalgia trip we're trying to recapture it do something like that uh then you might have a movie but like this movie just gets into utter nonsense with the russian mob the the white supremacist militia uh, the the cops for no good reason. It's there's well, and a, then, a voodoo witch. It's all dumb. 
Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot to unpack there. One of the things I actually texted you this when I was watching it. It's like, what world does this take place in? Because the first one is pretty much grounded. I mean, it's a little heightened. Like you get stuff where the nun kind of like floats and you, you know, there's like little flourishes of like and, when and the car does things that the car shouldn't have been able to do yeah yeah the car's a little magical like when someone has a religious epiphany like they do kind of light up blue you know like there there is there's like little flourishes but for the most part it takes place in something resembling the real world like a, a slightly heightened version i mean the the carrie fisher stuff's a little cartoony with like not ever being able to kill them or whatever but like the, it's cartoonish but it's like grounded it's it feels real yeah like even when she shoots the rocket launcher at the building like that's bananas but i don't know like it, it just it felt like it didn't break the rules of the world because you'd already had that crazy mall car chase right yeah it, it's like there are some wild things happening but by and large it it feels like something approximating the real world which is important because you need the stakes to feel like they matter like you need the cops to feel like a threat you need to feel like they're being chased and that there's a danger to being caught and you do feel that and then because a lot of it is just like the comedy comes from heightening it's like the cops are chasing them but then it's way too many cops and the way the cops are kind of crashing is a little bit more like they're slipping on banana peels than like in a normal it's so everything is just like heightened slightly and and that holds it together or like when aretha franklin is doing her musical number it everyone kind of like does a moping version of background dancing which is very funny to me like just when they yeah. kind of like seem like they don't even want to do it but like they they're like they feel like they have to like they feel compelled to do the movements well yeah and that's the other thing is like that's thinking back like that's the only scene in the original movie where other than when it's like music played for score that the music's not coming from anywhere like that's the only right. scene where it's not diegetic music right? yeah and there's a um, few things where like when cab calloway sings all of a sudden everyone's outfits change magically like so there's like well, little touches but but at the same time like you kind of realize that that was just in all their minds it was like yeah, it did yeah I, it's just what we're seeing yeah I, it, it, and like the audience saw the blues brothers band looking like the blues brothers band but i you know what i'm gonna say it uh the original blues brothers is an excellent example of magical realism in in movie making yeah We'll, we'll go Move over, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. <laughs> I heard he was very influenced by the Blues yeah, Brothers. Yeah, big influence on the Blues Brothers. Yeah. Um, and probably lots of psychotropic drugs involved in both. So mm -hmm. that kind of checks yeah. out. But like, with the exception of like Willie Hall's strip club band and like their actual concert scenes, all the other musical numbers have no basis in reality the the phone sex line one the uh the singing respect in the car dealership among many others have no well, and can i can i take a special moment to talk about that scene because i think that this is maybe emblematic of the problem with this movie aretha franklin in the first movie is one of my favorite scenes in that movie it's great like the whole thing from start to finish 
is great. Like the whole the, what they order without like, your four fried chickens. Yeah. <laughs> And your dry toast. White toast. Yeah. Like all of that. And the fact that like that's how the band member knows that it's them based on that order is really funny. Like that that's a standard order for both of them. Like the comedy is on in that. And then she does the musical number, which is it's this crossroads for this character of, you know, you it I mean, and this is this is such a trope, but that's what they're playing into of guy who got out. Who's being drawn back? He he's now settled in a new life where he's not doing crime anymore. He's being dragged back into the world, and that's the guy that like ninety percent of the time in in those kind of movies, like he's gonna die. <laughs> like, um, but you're playing into that, and so he has to make the choice, and he decides to go. And then the other guy too, like which I love too. The other guy's kind of hanging around, terrified over, and she's like, "Go on, like," get, and he runs out. Like, great scene. But you want her to be in this movie because, you know, she's like an icon. She's Aretha F. And Franklin. She's, Franklin, yeah, I she's mean. Aretha Franklin. If you can get her in this movie, you definitely want it. But then, so they're back together and he's doing it to her again. You've now recontextualized everything. It almost makes the first one sadder because now she's just a doormat that's going to take him back again after this. Like she, it didn't cost him anything to leave her. Right. He should have lost her. And like, and the second time she's okay with it. Right. Yeah. So it's like you really, in order to have her back, you completely ruin her character and make what's an empowering scene for her. in the first time just turn into like, even though she's singing respect, he's not respecting her like she's she's just gonna wait around for this guy to come back and he you know like it's i really didn't like it like i really hated that they were doing that to her yeah no i mean a hundred percent it's well and that's the other thing is like one of the great sources of comedy of the first one is that like all of the band members on the surface act like they don't want to rejoin the blues brothers but deep down really want to rejoin the Blues Brothers. Right, and you believe that. that they, and it, it's kind of just played into this. Uh, they're just musicians, and they all... They know all of the reasons that it's like, going to go bad, but they miss it. Right. Steve Cropper and Duck Dunn don't want to be part of Murph and the Magic Tones. They want to be part of the fabulous Blues Brothers band. Right, and yeah, who... I forget which one it is, but even the guy who's like the Mater D, like, he, he hates Mr. that Fabulous. Job. Yeah, he hates that job. Like, he loves that they're there ruining that job. Like, yeah, he's sold out. Yeah, he's like... Thank God they're here. God, that seems we are not going to talk about how great the Blues Brothers. If you haven't seen right Blues now. Brothers and you're listening to this, it's weird. <laughs> but like, <laughs> Blues Brothers is great. You should watch that if you get the chance. But that's the thing. Like, there, there's no struggle to get the band back together. There's no moment of awakening. Essentially, all the band members wanting to come back. Right. Um. But it still takes just as long <laughs> to get the band back together for no reason. Right. Uh. Yeah, I just. Also, yeah, we started talking about the the reality of the first one. All of a sudden in this one, you can drive cars underwater. You can like live in the car. Uh, voodoo magic is real and problematic. I mean, the less said about that, the better. But like, yeah, uh, but like they become zombies and then they're frozen. I don't even know what's happening at the end of this movie, but like. There's a lot more magic in this movie or just wacky just outright things. breaking the like 
not even like stretching the rules of reality, just outright breaking them with like the end scene when the white supremacists and the Russian mob get turned into rats. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Can't when that. Um, Jake El- or uh, Jake Ma- or no Elwood Mac and Cab get turned into zombies and then frozen. And also, and like, let's not forget uh, when Elwood takes a, an entire thing of shaving cream and disguises himself as Mac tonight and then runs through a restaurant to like escape or whatever was happening in that scene. <laughs> he just had a giant like shaving cream based foam. Like I really I was watching this being like, OK, let's see where they go with this. And then I was like, what? Like what? I literally don't understand what this plan was. They needed like, was, to escape. That, their... Was that how rabid he was? <laughs> oh yeah. God! Yeah, he just his entire head is just now. It looks like a you know. It looks like Jack in the Box mascot <laughs> with the sunglasses. Yeah. Um. Just everything about this movie is so dumb and so bad and doesn't make any sense. And there's no end game really for the movie. Like they're trying to get money for something. But they don't. Yeah, this, there's no real. They wanted to win the battle of the bands, but they, they're not saving anything. The orphanage has already folded. There's also this weird thing where so much of the conflict is manufactured because there's this kid that I don't know why he's in the movie. He has no point. Like, there isn't any emotional arc with him. He doesn't... It seems that someone thought it would be cute to have a a child dressed as a Blues Brother. And that was as far as the thought process went. But so when he goes to see the nun this time, she's like, you should mentor this kid. And then he does, but then... They call the cops on him for doing what he seemed to have been asked to do. I mean, I guess he did take the kid across state lines and he was supposed to bring him back in two hours and he brought him. He didn't bring him back at all. I know, but it just felt felt stupid. Yeah, it felt stupid that it was like, you know who he is. Like, you know what I mean? Like, just that there wasn't really an attempt for them to get the kid back. They went from just, I don't know, he hasn't brought him back to let's involve the police. Yeah, and like, and then the other big thing is the Joe Morton. They steal his wallet to get five hundred dollars, and then that's why they're chasing them. And then Joe Morton, because he's not like the head chief of police, like just a fairly high ranking officer, rains down the entire blue fury of the Illinois State Police on them for taking five hundred dollars. That felt realistic. Okay, that okay, yeah. That's... <laughs> Uh, um, also, there the apocalypse happened at a bluegrass festival. I think, as much as I understood it, like yeah, where, the the four horsemen definitely showed up, and I think killed all the people that were watching them play bluegrass. And they weren't even like Ghost Riders in the Sky is not a bluegrass song. No, but whatever Great that, song, yeah, and their their car is magical and remote controlled and stuff now. Too. I don't, I, I didn't understand anything that was happening at any point in this movie. Now, um, I'm going to, I'm going to hit a, a controversial maligning of this movie. <laughs> okay. Ah, uh, man, was John Goodman wasted. Oh, that is not controversial at all. John Goodman is 
one of, if not my favorite actors of all time. I oh, love, same. No, 100%. And I love John Goodman so much. And I've seen John Goodman in a number of bad movies. We could do a John Goodman month on this show for sure. We need to talk about King Ralph at some point. Let's just put a pin in that for I, later. I mean, King Ralph, Flintstones, that's already half the month right there. Yeah, so. that's two weeks. Um, um, but I, he's completely wasted in this i didn't even understand his character i i so, know, like i didn't get what he was doing i didn't get what he was asked to do it's kind of fun when he's singing but his character as a whole i i don't know who he is yeah he makes this great choice as an actor to be this guy that essentially has an onstage and offstage two completely different like alter ego-esque personas where he's this completely unconfident sort of like mopey sad sack nerd loser when he's not performing but then he's a freaking blues god when he gets on stage puts on the glasses and does all that and say and freaking crushes looking like looking for a fox like that yeah like kills it um and that's a great like it's a great choice for a character dynamic but they don't do anything with it well, and again, this is the problem with everything in the movie. They don't do anything with anything. Again, you have a kid. He's just there. You have this dynamic with John Goodman. It's just there. You got to heighten that. So, like, you know, I don't know. I, I'm not workshopping this movie, but, like, come up with situations. If it's like a Superman Clark Kent thing, you know, with his his blues talent, have him be stuck as Clark Kent, but need to be Superman. Like play yeah, have up. his hat get knocked off on stage and see what happens. Yeah, play with the idea of a bad time for him to revert back to being scared of everything and timid. Like, and yeah. heighten how scared and timid he is in those others. Like, right. It's just sort of yeah. He's just boring when he's not on stage. Like whatever dichotomy they were trying to do, instead of having an actual mark difference, it's just like. It's fun when he's doing this one thing and boring when he's not. Yeah, it's um, that's an another reason. Uh, I love Paul Schaefer. I'm a fan. He's a freaking atrocity in this movie. I mean, Paul Schaefer is he's an acquired taste. I don't even dislike Paul Schaefer, but it's a big ask normally for, to, to take Paul Schaefer in anything. <laughs> and when it's bad, it's this. Because, like, he was the original uh, keyboard player for the Blues Brothers Band. Yeah. Uh, but he was performing in Gilda Radner's uh, Broadway show. And so he couldn't do the movie. And so that's why they got uh, Murphy Dunn to play the role, the keyboard player in the movie. Um, and so he got to be with the Blues Brothers. And that was kind of neat. Um, for him. For him. <laughs> oh, not for us. <laughs> not even a little bit. God, like, Paul Schaefer... Just not acting is a whole lot. Yeah. Paul Schaefer and, was great as a foil to David Letterman. Because mm -hmm. Letterman knew exactly how to use him. Yeah. And and anyone who's a fan of Letterman, I think, has a liking and appreciation for Paul Schaefer. Yeah. And he's a great musician. You know, I'll give him all the credit in the world for that. Yeah. And he uh, did. Like, I saw that he did the music in this movie, which makes total sense. He's, he's really good at that. Yeah. But, like... The weird over-the-top French major domo character that he's playing. And then just, like, what a freaking ham he is on stage with the Louisiana Gator Boys. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Yep. Which also, do we want to talk about the Louisiana Gator Boys, which was 
another thing that almost felt like a good idea, but then and something that's completely different from the original is now they're having a battle of the bands against this band. And and in fact, that band wins the competition. I like that in concept, but again, in execution, not as fun as it should be. Well, no, because like, so the Louisiana Gator Boys is literally a who's who of people whose names you should feel bad, like you feel bad for not knowing. Yeah, it's a who's who of watching the credits and being like, that's who that was. Okay. Oh, oh Steve yeah. I knew. Winwood. Oh, yeah. Lou, that's that's what Lou Rawls looks like. Yeah, yeah. You will recognize every name. Oh, that's Eric Clapton. I say that because he's the easiest. <laughs> F Eric Clapton. But um, oh, uh, if we're just if we're at the part where we're saying F people, F John Landis. I, I don't want to get through this whole show. Without oh, just saying yeah. F let's, John let's, let's let's put that out there. He did kill a guy. Yeah, he killed a guy and he is the father of Max Landis, which are both two terrible things. I'm not saying they're the same, but like they're they've both done hard. No, one's a horrible crime against humanity. The other is murder. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't like John Landis, so I, I definitely want that on the record. Um, But no, the Louisiana Gator Boys, like it's. I mean, a few people like Travis Tritt and Steve Winwood, who don't really connect directly to the blues, but are excellent musicians in their own right. And like heavy hitter big names. I mean, B.B. King, Bo Diddley, Isaac Hayes, Dr. John, who I'm pretty sure was also Dr. Teeth. Um, is, legit Wolf. is the inspiration for Dr. Oh, it is. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. why I said that. I just want but, that known for our audience if they didn't. I know you know that. Yeah. Like, um, in case AJ you know, is listening. Yeah. <laughs> and we know he is. Um, yeah. Yeah, just like it, it, it's literally a who's who of just fantastic musicians. That's not even getting into how freaking fantastic the Blues Brothers band is as yeah. a band. No, they um, are good. Yeah. Like Steve Cropper and Duck Dunn are responsible for all of the grooves from the 60s Stax records. Like, and that, I mean, that, like, all of this. To get to Blues Brothers 2000 started with the idea of like, what if these two likable comedians are the front men for a just absolutely stacked band? <laughs> right. Like, just a just a murderer's row of killer session musicians. Yeah. Like that was always the joke is how good that band is. Like, Well, and I mean, Jake and Elwood could do it, though, man. Like, yeah, there's which, a lot of people that could not pull that off. Which can I can I now say this that is perhaps controversial? Jake and Elwood could do it. Elwood by himself. <laughs> and did he, needs he? Jake. Did he? Did he need that whole musical number by himself in the strip club? Uh, I submit that he did not. No, especially like the one with him and John Goodman makes sense because that's the character based one. But like you, I that like got me where I was like, we're doing a second musical number in the strip club. There's a whole one that's just him that is not good. Yeah, it's it's like uh, I'd, I think I'd blocked it out of my memory to be perfect. I can't honest. even remember what song it is, but it just it had that feeling watching it of like, this is for Dan Aykroyd. Dan Aykroyd wrote this song for him. And then I imagine there were a lot of conversations with like, so we need to cut about five minutes from the movie for the runtime. Uh, so, you know, Dan, like we were thinking we could probably just cut your musical number. It doesn't really add anything. It's like, to, no, no, I'm on a mission from God <laughs> to, to deliver a uh, less than mediocre blues song. 
that doesn't fit in the movie. That was pretty good. Thank you. Also, um, by the way, I, I don't want to lose this note. How does he know what cyber porn on the internet is? He, he just got out of jail. How's, how's yeah, computers he? Computers in, in Joliet prison. Did the, the, the access cyber porn? He's looking at cyber porn in Joliet. Listen, if there's porn in a prison, they're getting cyber porn. Okay. I just, 98? Like with those yeah, dial up that, modems? I mean, that's yeah that, you know they they didn't even have a 56k at joliet state prison in 1998 it would have taken a whole day to to download a picture of a boob in in 1998 and using their wi-fi so or and hear me out on this <laughs> you've been in prison for 18 years you get out and find out that there's porn on the computer is that not the first thing you're doing? Okay, you've already written a funnier scene than anything that's in this movie. <laughs> if if there was like a 10-minute scene where he discovered cyber porn and just stopped everything he was doing to be like, "Do you guys Did you know there's <laughs> they porn got, on the they internet?" Got porn. <laughs> you can see everything. I saw boobs. I saw <laughs> We can get the band back together a little bit later. <laughs> <laughs> get my band back together. He's a uh... Oh, I'm on a mission from God. <laughs> Say hi I mean, to the bishop. You're telling me the guy who got a blowjob from a ghost isn't taking a few minutes to to look at some porn <laughs> before you're starting on that mission. Yeah, it's... Um, so, Hollywood, if you want us to remake uh, Blues Brothers 2000 in 2022... Blues Brothers 2022. We're here for We'll it. do it. Yeah. We're here. Yeah, we're in 100%. What's J. Evan Bonifant doing? Also, how about this? That what's the sorry? What's the the Gator? What's the the super band? The, the Louisiana Gator Boys. Okay, how about this? Blues Brothers twenty twenty two. The Louisiana Gator Boys are on a mission from Satan. <laughs> how about that? I'm pretty sure most of the Gator Boys are. I think Travis Tritt is the only one still alive. <laughs> but he's got to get his band back together. <laughs> With to appease new... the Dark Lord Satan. <laughs> yeah. He and Steve Winwood. <laughs> uh, with the Metal Brothers. Isn't Clapton still alive? Did Clapton die? Who cares? I mean, he, yeah. He wanted to have a benefit show about why wearing masks are dumb. So, yeah. F him. So, he um, might have COVID by the time this is released. But Yeah. Uh, anyways. No. Um, let's... We could malign this movie for literally another three hours. Okay. And... <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, oh, sorry. I wasn't getting um, that you were pivoting. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Let's go. No, uh, let's pivot. Let's 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 polish this turd. Um, all right. There is good music in this movie. Yeah, yeah. There's good. Yeah, for sure. There is good. Music. Like the um, uh, John Goodman singing "Looking for a Fox" is that's awesome. Uh, the, uh, phone sex line song is great. I really like that scene. The song, I thought that was really good. Also, man, I, this isn't a silver lining, but this movie for like, it has a kid in it, which makes me think it's meant to be more family friendly, but it's somehow way hornier than the first movie. Like there's a, yeah. an extended bit in a strip club and then also a phone sex line. You know, it's, it's weird because like watching the original one, there's like, Again, there's Carrie Fisher is clearly has a relationship with uh, with Jake. And then, you know, Elwood, like, totally seduces that lady at the gas station. Like, they, they're they not not sexual, but also the movie isn't sexual. <laughs> right. 
Yeah. Mm. But anyway, yeah, this movie, for some reason, we're just hanging out with a kid in a strip club, like, and, and watching multiple, you know, like performances from strippers. We're seeing well, and, like this strip club that's in like seemingly the middle of nowhere. The strippers perform in front of a full band. Yeah, as you do. Yeah. Um, anyways, but we're we're silver lining this movie. Like the songs are good. Uh, like the Louisiana Gators Boys song is good. Um, and should have won. I'm glad that they did. Oh, it, like, it was better. Yeah. I mean, uh, the song, uh, the end song when the Blues Brothers and the Gator Boys unite, uh, That that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, James Brown singing Please, Please, Please in the end credits. If you, I don't know if you stuck around for it. I did. They, they, they put the thing on him. They did, yeah. they did all the stuff I saw. Yeah, they did the stuff. It was great. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's a ton of great music in this movie. Also, I'll give a shout out to Joe Morton. When that switch flips and he starts performing, that dude brings it on stage, too. That was going to be my next one, is that <laughs> Joe Morton can sing. Yeah, <laughs> like, like Joe Morton, I, I like him anyway. But Yeah, like, I like him a lot. He, but he, I did I really not. like him as an actor. It's definitely like a, a side of him that I haven't ever seen in it. Usually he's very angry with robots, so it was right, nice in, to... in t- so many movies. <laughs> Which man, he's he's creeping up our list by the way. Like, this we is, did that Snyder this is month. A, I think three. Yeah, so he's he's getting dangerously close to the top of that list thanks to Snyder month. But yeah, um, I mean, if you count the two cuts of Justice League, he's at four with Batman v Superman. Yeah, and it only takes I mean, five to be at the top of our list. So yeah, five is is the is the winner, and that's reserved for people in star wars movies <laughs> usually it's usually anthony usually. daniels <laughs> yeah um which by the way i don't know frank oz is that a silver lining they got frank oz back glad to see he got that promotion as he's yeah warden they, now went from prison guard to warden that was yeah. a nice thing which man um, that again we're not going to just talk about blues brothers but that opening scene is great with him the way he says one soiled ah uh, yeah it's uh, the, it's gold <laughs> Frank Oz, who's given nothing fun, nothing funny to do in this movie, uh, is a comedy legend. Yeah, absolutely. He's an icon. Um, anyways, but yeah, Joe Morton, I thought was great. Um, I already talked about Steve Cropper and, and Duck Dunn. Like they, he has like three lines in each movie, but they all crush. Like when he's like, hey. Good country key in the original Blues Brothers. It's gold. Yeah, <laughs> when he's like check please after the Mac tonight scene. That that check please delivery is great. It really is. <laughs> um, and just one of the all time best bass players. So I'm gonna I'm gonna always say big ups and rest in peace, Duck Dunn. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, and the fact that his name is Donald Dunn and he goes by Duck Dunn, like that's it, just badass. That is great because it's also yeah, it's like. Both leaning into and subverting expectations. <laughs> like it's, yeah, it's awesome. Um, that Dan Aykroyd history of Russia speech that I played at the that's, beginning. Oh God. Yeah. When you pick them, like this is a silver lining. This, yeah, that, that style of joke mm-hmm. always lands for me. When someone who shouldn't be an expert on something just crushes the trivia of that it's always funny to me well, and it, it almost plays a bit like and i maybe if they lean more into this of like almost like a silent bob in uh you know clerks and, and such of like because 
Elwood is such a stoic, quiet character most of the time for him to just launch into this really detailed history. I don't know. It, it, that worked for me. I did find that very funny. Yeah, I, I'm always curious what uh, clip you're going to pick to play. And yeah, that that like I said, that type of joke always lands. Dan Aykroyd is also a comedy legend. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that I can go so far to say that he's a silver lining in this movie. No, no. But <laughs> especially because he wrote it and starred in it. So a lot of the blame falls at the feet of, of Dan Aykroyd and obviously John Landis, who's a monster. But yeah, uh, I, I, no, I wasn't going to give Dan Aykroyd a silver lining as himself. I was just going to say, like, the dude gets comedy, like knows oh, how to yeah. write a joke. And yeah, yeah. that joke kills. Yes. When, yeah. when he just blows off Blues Traveler, that's pretty funny. He's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I'll, I'll I'll be there in a second. Yeah. And then they just leave. Well, that's it. Yeah, he still has hits. It's way more misses in this movie. Also, Dan Aykroyd wrote the original Blues Brothers. I mean, like, that's like... And wrote Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. Like, when that dude's good, he's good. <laughs> he's as good as they get, like, yeah. as far as writing sketch comedy and, you know, comedic scenes. He's, he's at the, you know, he's the pinnacle. He's up there, but... Um, uh, I mean, <laughs> that was, I feel like I watched you give up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of, uh, no, the, the, like, and this is, I think almost word for word, what Roger Ebert's review of this movie is like, the music's really good. Everything else isn't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I guess that's as much of a. Of a silver uh, Joe, like Joe Morton, I think deserves special mention because he kills it in yeah. this movie. He's he's he is a silver lining. Like watch this movie because you're going to see Joe Morton playing both in type and against type in the same movie, and both um, equally as convincing. Like the turn oh, yeah. really works. Joe Morton is acting in a better movie than this is. Like yes, I just put he, that out there. Yeah, he gets our award for performing way above the <laughs> what was that? Way above the content. Um, well, like it kind of. I love Goodman so much, but it feels like he looked around at some point and went like, "Okay, autopilot." Eh. Yeah. I'm a, <laughs> so this is a paycheck movie. Got it. Yeah, this is because I'm friends with Danny. <laughs> yeah, this is because I already agreed to this. So because uh, I'm Danny's my boy, so I'm gonna. But I get to sing Looking for a Fox, and that is a classic blues song, you know, just R&B, and I'm going to crush it. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, this isn't a good movie. This is, this is at or near the bottom of what we, what we've done on this podcast, and we've watched some, some gems. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, I think we did it, though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't feel great, but nothing about this movie felt great. We did it more than they did it. We put more effort into this <laughs> podcast than they did into that movie. Because nobody, like, every song in that movie is, like, a standard. And, I mean, you could have put the Louisiana Gator Boys out there to do the Alphabet song, and it would have crushed. Which you Watching will see in our movie, Blues Brothers 2022. Yeah, we promise. That's our promise um, to you. Because we're also, we're going to get Frank Oz back, but he's going to be Muppets this time. Yeah. So, so they're Muppets. They're going to, they're going to, after they got caught by the police in the uh, ride off into the sunset chased by the entire Illinois State Police Department, uh, they go to Muppet jail. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because it turns out the Muppets actually had jurisdiction on a lot of their crimes. Yeah. Um, you know, it's they, they actually run the Louisiana Bayou, which most people <laughs> don't know. Um 
and yeah and so they go to muppet jail and it's frank oz and then the the surviving louisiana gator boys so steve winwood travis tritt and gary u.s bonds are gonna sing uh the alphabet song to try to Muppets to try. Well, they're try, because they're on a mission from Satan. So they're trying to get Sesame street bulldozed, but then that's right. where the blues brothers come in and they're going to have to save Sesame street, save Sesame street from them. And we're going to get yeah. all your favorites, Joe Morton and that kid, but older now. Yeah. That kid who's now 30, <laughs> he's going to be in it. And also, Goodman, I guess. Yeah, why not? They're all gonna. They're all gonna be. They're back. gonna be there. Yeah, and Blues Traveler again, probably. Yeah, we can. I'm, what's John Popper up to? He'd do it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So like, you know what? We'll, Screw it. We're we're gonna have Jim Belushi. Yeah, and you're gonna love him. Lo- adore. You're gonna. You're gonna be like. There's another Belushi. Here's the thing, though. He's playing Elwood. Yeah. Yeah. Wrap your noodle around that one. You can't. You can't. And then he just talks about his brother a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is already better. Uh, Yeah, that uh, we've been thin on the pitches, but I think we got one this week. Oh, we haven't as many pitches in 2021 as we had in 20 in our first year. But this is a good one. Blues Brothers 2022. Yeah. So Uh, so that means it's going to come out two years ago. Yeah, well, last year it should have come out last. It come out last year, yeah, but yeah. because of COVID and everything, yeah, yeah. it's actually going to come out in twenty twenty. And yeah, don't worry, COVID's going to be in the movie. We know COVID. that's what everyone wants. Is just they want COVID. Is, <laughs> people are going to be saying years from now the quintessential piece of COVID cinema. Yeah, Blues Brothers twenty twenty, and they're definitely going to say the only movie that to address COVID with Muppets in it, <laughs> where Muppets get COVID. Yeah. Because you know, you just know Grover's anti-vax. Yeah, and you animal's not wearing a mask. No, I mean, oh, come but, on. But man, when when Electric Mayhem like joins up with the Blues Brothers at the end, oh, it's gonna be really emotional. It's gonna be. It's gonna be the moment we've all been waiting for is to see Jake and Elwood fronting Electric Mayhem. It's. I think it's what if you really go back and watch the original. I feel like it's what it was always building towards. Because also, don't forget that the Muppets used to be on Saturday Night Live. So right, it all. It's just like connected, cogs connected in a universe. machine. Yeah, it's just all fitting together. Yeah. Um. So stay tuned for that Hollywood, Danny. If you're listening, uh, hit us up. We got pages. We can send you right now. Yeah, but you're gonna want to put down that skull vodka before you start drinking, because otherwise you're gonna spit it out. About yeah, you're not spill because that crystal vod, crystal vodka everywhere, and not because it's not delicious, but because you're so shocked with the quality of Blues Brothers 2022. So make sure to take a nice swallow of that crisp, refreshing crystal head vodka. Yeah, which set the all- cup down, set that beautiful crystal skull bottle down far away from you in case you fall off of your chair and do a hilarious pratfall. You know what? And also. Look, I, I I didn't want to give this part away because it's my favorite part of the script. But it, but Danny, if you're listening, and I know that you are, and you're you're on the fence about I don't know, you know, Blues Brothers 2000. I don't know. People didn't really like it. Are they going to want 2022? Two ghosts blow you at the same time. Boom. Silver Linings Playback is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. 
hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one. We have to ask. It's a podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite Universes. We We have have to to ask. ask. New interviews every Tuesday. Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peak Sloth Network at peaksloth.com. (laughs) 